Welcome to the Bridge to Branches podcast. You and your entirety are welcome here, no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've been through. On the Bridge to Branches podcast, we believe every mental health experience is valid and has power. If you are tending to your mental health, you are smart and brave. If life is a tree, mental health is the bridge from the roots to the branches, connecting where we've been and what we've been through to its impact on the world, spanning outwards. Mental health is the bridge to your destiny in this world. Join us in talking about it. Hi, my name is Alex. And my name is Arielle, and we are the hosts of the Bridge to Branches podcast. We've both been on nuanced mental health journeys, which are always continuing. Our stories are a part of this project, and I found a safe home here. We hope that you and your story find a home here, too. If you are interested in being on the podcast, please reach out to us at bridge to branches podcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned until after this exchange to hear a special song written and sung by Javon. Content warning for this episode. In this episode, we discuss sensitive topics such as panic attacks, the use of psychotropic medications, and symptoms of bipolar 2 disorder. So to kind of start off, we have a question for you just around identity, and that is, who are you? How do you define yourself? I'm African American. Um, I am a quarter white on my on my mom's side. Um, my pronouns are he and him. I am gay. 36. Um, I used to be an electrical engineer, or excuse me, oh, that's not right. I used to be an industrial and operations engineer in the pharmaceutical industry, but I have switched over to music since then, um, and I feel like that's my calling. And as far as uh, mental health itself, I found out that I have bipolar type two back in 2015. And as far as astrology, for those interested, um, <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. Um, I think, what is it? My, my, I have a Gemini moon and a Gemini rising as well. Well, thanks for throwing in the astrology piece. That's, that's awesome. You have to do Meyer Briggs? Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, I'm an INFP. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Sweet. Um, beautiful. So you named quite a few things. Um, let's move into kind of maybe each of them. How about whatever comes through first comes through? How does the, how do these different types of identities that you describe yourself as inform your idea of your mental health? Or how do they influence their own mental health? 
they've influenced, I think by just, how can I phrase this? The more that I see myself as an individual with individual thoughts and recognizing my own boundaries and, and not carrying on the baggage of other people, I think it allows for my mental health to be rid, ridden of like different forms of codependency that can really be triggering for me and um, can offset my mood and make things a bit tumultuous. Um, it's been vital for me to, especially as of late with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, to reach deep down more into um, my Blackness as well. And, and what that means for me and feeling a sense of kinship with my, my ancestors and my people. And, you know, I, I used to have, I won't say shame, but engineering was never a very good fit for me, especially in the pharmaceutical industry. But I wear it as a badge of honor because it, it's something that I've done. And I feel like the engineering component of me has helped my identity so much as far as problem solving, as far as learning skills about pattern recognition which I apply to different aspects of my life and, and music as well, because music is pattern recognition um, within itself. Um, definitely my age, I just feel getting into my mid thirties, you know, everyone tells us when we're younger that um, outlook on life, like outlooks on life change. And I, I feel like a completely different person. This is the first year I kind of feel like I've been an adult adult. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because there's like this mass movement happening with everybody as far as like the collective consciousness of mankind. But um, yeah, I feel, I feel strong as like a, identifying as a, as a black and gay as well, admitting that and the fear surrounding um, making music and how that's going to be perceived, but there's such strength in being able to be honest with something about our sexuality. And I hope it also helps other people inspire or inspire them on being more honest about um, things about themselves that are not the social norms and realizing like when we stand in our power with things like that, um, the influence that we're capable of having to help other people live better and more Feel lives is just amplified immensely. It's so inspiring what you're saying, and I just wanted to say too, from the beginning when you were describing your identity, like I know I can feel a sense of pride coming from you with the way that you describe yourself. Oh, so thank you. I just wanted to reflect that because it's clear, and I really appreciate your way that you're describing it in relation to your mental health and the strength that's coming from you it's very inspiring so thank you for sharing that from the beginning um and also thank you for sharing the bipolar piece i don't know if you no problem yeah if you listen to any of our previous episodes i um, have been diagnosed with bipolar as well and that's something that i've become more and more comfortable with kind of naming um but I mm. that like for you to name that right off the bat, I don't know that I would have done that because it's still is like a little bit scary like, saying that you have like a, a mental health diagnosis, right? And so I really respect that a lot that you just come right out and say the bipolar piece. I think that's great. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, a little nerve-wracking at times, but I just feel like it's such an important topic and for mental health to be a, a conversation topic that's normalized. I think it's going to require a lot of us um, who are like championing 
um, championing, championing, <laughs> yeah. uh, taking an active role in our well-being, like to just to talk about it. Because a lot of people don't know, you know, there are people on the street, you would never have an idea that they're even dealing with mental health issues. But when, when it's focused upon, like other people, oh my goodness, like I, I deal with that too. I had no idea this person was going through as well. Totally, it's a connecting piece. Yeah, big time. All of the informer identity inform the way that we think about ourselves, the way we go about our day, the way we interact with one another. And I think just by putting it out there and saying these are words that I use to define myself, like we can normalize all those things and create more beauty from them. So Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, I agree. And like with the with the name even of the diagnosis, and that's been a big part of our journey with this project is to minimize the stigma or to take it away, you know, to take away yeah. that connective piece that's between us of why we're not talking about it. And I had the same type of thought, like of even sharing about the word bipolar, like what that means. It means so many things to people when they hear it. And um, it's so invisible. Like, I love that you said, Alex, that it's connective because it's like the most, it's like it could be the most connective or the most disconnective thing. Like it's something we can't see that could be either connective or disconnective because we're not seeing it. And so we don't know. Um, and I love just to, just to finish up this piece before we move forward. Like, I love that you brought in the piece about being an inspiration to other people, you know, even sharing about your identity and how it means something, it could mean something beyond yourself, like for others as well. So you already have that piece in place in your mind, which I think is so key when we're thinking about moving beyond our own fears, like our insecurities, the things that would stop us. Like when we're, when we connect it to what, just what you said, like that your story will positively inspire other people, you know, mm -hmm. a piece to it. So the next piece that we wanted to shift into for this, this dialogue exchange that we're having right now is around your own story, like what you would like to share on here from, you know, however far back you'd like to choose to go you know, to bring us from the beginning, you, you get to decide and to just guide us through however you would like to of how you see your mental health journey. Sure. Um, starting things off, to give a, a bit of a background, um, I have a half sister, but um, she never lived with me. So growing up, I, I had the only child experience. And I have two amazing parents. And um, once I found out about my diagnosis in 2015, my mom had mentioned, like when I was younger, um, I was always cordial and kind, but she said there's always like this underlining sadness that she could feel. Mm -hmm. And it kind of worried her. And, and you know, as parents, I think sometimes you don't want to take a closer look at those things. And also, you know, it, as an INFP too, I think there's certain things about personality types um, and, and there's certain characteristics that go along with just our natural temperament as well. But um, I was a high achiever in school. I recognized that that was something I was good at. Um, the, the thing that kept me from being a valedictorian in high school was actually gym. <laughs> that was not, that was a weakness of mine. Um, but 
So I went through there, then I went to the University of Michigan and, and studied industrial and operations engineering. And it just really felt like a bad fit. Um, I had been on the train tracks of academia ever since I was a child. And thankfully I found my tribe in engineering. My, my particular type, I kind of felt like where a lot of lost souls of engineering ended up. Like maybe we start off as electrical engineers or we were um, biomedical engineers, but I had a, a core group of friends and also my love for Japanese just, just gave me the sense of culture and excitement in college that I think made it feel really well-rounded. But what happened was when I had gone into um, my first job in the pharmaceutical industry, <clears throat> I for the first two years, it was cool because I was on a professional development program. So for every six months, I did a different position. Like I'd done warehouse supervision, corporate purchasing, new product development, management. But when I got my full-time position in LA, um, that's when things really started to fall apart. Um, I, I dealt a little bit with sadness, but it had never hit me like that before. Um, it got to the case where I was just having panic attacks going into to my job. Um, some days during my lunch break, I'd just be in my car crying, just not wanting to go in there. But the minute that I would walk through those doors, that mask would come up. I'd be all smiles. No one knew what was going on. So I was kind of suffering in silence. And thankfully, you know, they had the opportunity I did to take a leave of absence for about three months. And um, it, it helped get me the courage to actually move on over to LA. They had placed me, uh, I got relocated for that final position at the pharmaceutical uh, company in Temecula, California, which is like an hour and a half away from LA. But moving up to LA, I saw the same patterns happen again. I would get a job, I'd be great while the novelty was still going on. But when that stopped, that's when the depression would start happening happening that's when I would get just in crazy crazy anxiety like um one of my positions I worked at the Apple store uh doing sales on the floor like I think they called me a red zone specialist but some days and this is before I knew about you know um anything dealing with my mental health my anxiety would be so bad that I would have to lock myself into the bathroom and just sit there for 20 minutes just to just sensory deprivation to keep my head from spinning around in circles and um, yeah, that was just, it was very demoralizing because I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, why? I've done so well in school. I know that I'm a hard worker. I see all my friends doing an amazing job in their positions, it seemed. And why am I not even able to just sell some computers on this particular day at the Apple store? Like, what's wrong with me? How, how spoiled, how weak am I? Um, and I, I think as far as my diagnosis in 2015, it helped my self-confidence so much because it let me know that this is something that I'm having issues with from a mental health standpoint. I'm dealing with generalized anxiety. I'm dealing with um, depression. I'm dealing with bits of mania. And to be able to identify those things and separate those from my identity of, of you know, being Javon and, and realizing I am not my emotions um, I think that that was the first step that really put me on the path of um, healing. And, and even 
getting an inkling of, of what mental health, positive mental health, healthy mental health looked like because I hadn't seen it promoted anywhere. You know, I started to see a therapist um, back in, I think, 2010 or 2011. But it was when I got the bipolar diagnosis, I could finally dig deeper and really get some use out of that. So that's a little bit of a background. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I can relate a lot to some of this. Um, and I, I feel totally like a diagnosis can just be like the doors opening and the light coming in. And you're like, oh, like this is what's going on. And like, I'm not alone in this. And these are the symptoms. And there's doctors that can help me and who specialize in this and all these things. And that can be so enlightening I guess I could be a word even that I use to describe like getting a diagnosis it's like I agree so I think for some I think there are some people though who get a diagnosis and feel like it's a death sentence though at the same time you know there are, and then I think that has to do sometimes with a lot of like the stigma around mental health like hearing that you have a diagnosis can be a really scary thing for, for other people so I'm glad it was a positive thing for you though and that you, you found a therapist I think one of the reasons why around that time also um, I got into starting to practice Buddhism and the, the particular type that I practice, um, Nichiren Buddhism, it's based off of um, um, Nichiren Daishonin. He was someone in, I believe, 12th century Japan and, and just letting us know that all of the power that we need to be the best that we can possibly be is innately inside of us. And to recognize that when hardships come, that they are the stepping stones, if we look at them in that way, to, to becoming a stronger you, becoming a stronger me. So when I got my diagnosis as being bipolar, I was like, oh man, like this is a chance for me to really like, I could do some amazing stuff in my life if, if I look at this in the right way. I don't know if I would have um, been able to accept it so easily if it, if it weren't for that. So I'm very thankful in that respect. That's amazing. That's, I love the fact that like, there's like the spiritual health and the mental health coming together, right? Like there's your, your mental health piece is kind of starting to make sense. So you're putting the pieces, the puzzle pieces together, like you described earlier, like if I'm um, in engineering, like putting the pieces together and, and spiritual health comes in and it's like, you find a way to make sense of things because they come together and you can't really have one you can't rely full. I mean, you, it's a good to have the balance, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I love the way you're describing spiritual health and mental health, because I think the way you describe that you're stepping into your innate power is almost like you're revealing this power that's there. That's like your truth that might not be necessarily defined by these tumultuous emotions or thoughts that you were having, that you were having. Exactly. And you felt like you were, we get so caught up inside of those where we like we do start to think that they're us like that's that's really like so fundamental i'm so glad that you brought that up because i definitely have had that like years of that experience where i'm like i'm a, i'm attached to all these thoughts as my identity and i can't see anything else beyond beyond that as my identity and it's not a it's not an identity that's like something i want to be but i feel really stuck inside of it i feel like me too like no other way. So I, I really appreciate that you brought that piece into it. Almost definitely. I still feel that way now too, a lot of the times, like those times where I am having difficult moods. Um, that's why I think it's so helpful to 
um, do things like cognitive behavioral therapy. So I can, you know, if my if I'm really sad one day and everything feels terrible, and then I'm like, why do I feel so bad? I felt just fine yesterday. I'm like, oh, I do feel kind of sick. And I forgot when I start feeling sick, oftentimes it seems to messes up with my brain chemistry. So even though I'm feeling this way right now, like I have to remember there was an outside stimulus that made this happen. And, and, and that helps a ton too. But yeah, it, it's rough, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. My bipolar is a little bit different. It's not like the manic and depressive. Um, so I don't know if it's bipolar one or bipolar two. I don't know if either of you know the difference between the two. I can never remember. Um, is, is yours more depressive? No, mine is, it's really interesting. Like, I don't have like the depressive episodes. Like I have like days where I don't really want to be out of bed and that kind of thing, but they don't like lag on like forever. And I wouldn't say I have deal with much depression. For me, my symptom of bipolar and why I was diagnosed with bipolar is because I experienced paranoia. They consider my mm -hmm. just like, if there is like a manic period, it's like experiencing paranoia. So, gotcha. and so that's been, I talk with Arielle about the paranoia piece a lot. Um, yeah, it's just, it's something, it is like an outside stimulus comes in so you can learn how to control that and um, learn how you, how you respond to things and for me a medication helped too like a fairly gentle medication um so that's been good for me but different things for different people yeah i definitely medication has been very helpful for me too i feel like it just helps level the playing field so that actual healing can be done yeah you know sometimes it, it, no matter how hard we try like if, if stuff if we can't get like a baseline there's not a lot you can do because the, the tide, you know, the moonlight tide is going to wash away everything, all the progress you've made during the day. That's such a good way of describing it. I really relate to that. And I appreciate that description of, of Medicaid for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is like allowing you to just get on the same level, like as like neurotypicality, kind of like being able to just like function at that level and do your typical day to day things, go to work and et cetera. Um, yeah so yeah and like to to even be able to lift up your life to a place where you can even do other work you know other healing type of work i think that's something that you're that you're both getting to and that was definitely my experience as well like there was definitely a period where i wasn't even able to come up to the surface enough to even talk in therapy you know to even exactly process or and this, I would just lead this right into a, a question that I'm wondering from you, um, which is like with in terms of the other types of things that we do for our healing, you know, once, I love the way that you led us through your story from the beginning, like full acknowledgement of your diagnosis when you first received it and how that impacted your sense of identity. Um, and so I'd be curious, like what types of things you've seen as part of your path, as part of your healing path? and like just getting, just connecting it back to the medication piece. Like we might not be able to do some of the things that we are able to do later when we're in that place that's like, might be so low that you are just unable to like come up to the surface to breathe, I guess, you know, to have that ability even to like have the conversation or the other things that you put in place for your healing process. So yeah. for that reason, I've seen great value in psychotropic medication 
you know, at different times of my path. So I'm wondering from you, like, what things you've seen. I know you've mentioned therapy, and I would love to hear more about that if there's anything you want to share. And then along with your Buddhism practice, if there's anything else that you see that you've incorporated for your healing along your journey. Oh, for sure. To start off with therapy, I definitely have something more to say. I feel like everybody should be doing therapy. And I feel like there's a huge misconception. Yeah, seriously, there's a huge misconception about therapy because, you know, I think every when we think about therapy, people just think about someone laid out on one of those long ass couches and just talking about your problems and thinking that someone's exploiting you because you're really not doing any healing yourself. And I think it also can be traumatic for people going into therapy in talk therapy, if they're not ready to do the inner work of diving deeper, sometimes the defense mechanisms are set up so that they can protect themselves. And I think wow. less evasive forms like cognitive behavioral therapy are so important because I also think it kind of helps. I'll never forget what one of my therapists told me. She said to think of myself as like an amazing machine. We have all these moving bits and pieces and with some of the tools I've learned, you know, it, it just, it, I think it just helps with presence. It's similar to, to, to meditation or, or, or focused prayer where it's that moment of feeling something and then realizing that like, it's, it's like you're in the clouds full of emotions. You can't see anything. There's thunderstorm, there's raining. You think the world's ending, but then you realize if you just travel up a little bit above those clouds, the sky is completely clear and you can see everything going around and you'll see like below you, there are storms, but if you look further out, like the storms aren't everywhere. It's just a kind of a localized situation. And I think like that, that presence is, is pivotal in order for people dealing with um, mental health issues to get better because we have to be able to separate from the inner turmoil we're having at that constant, at that specific moment of our emotions. And um, gosh, I just wish there could be a way to just, with some legislation, just put in some core concepts of cognitive behavioral therapy in school, starting up when you're young, just asking people a couple questions like, why do you feel sad? Did, did you feel sad earlier today? Did you get sleep and just, to rewire our brains to think on those lines because, you know, I've been reading about the brain because I find it fascinating. And our brains don't differentiate between bad and good. Our brains really deal with, with habits. They deal with looking at patterns and they deal with the repetition of being told certain things. So if we're teaching our youth certain aspects of like, when you have a feeling, think about it. Like that becomes an, it, at first it may seem like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about my fucking feelings right now. <laughs> but if that's done repeatedly, our brains will automatically do that. And it's no longer work anymore. And then, and then as society, I think we can all dive into a deeper sense of connectedness because it really seems like that's the biggest issue above all else that's happening right now. Like I, I feel um, our society, which is based on capitalism, it's a very shallow society and it doesn't take into account the true essence of people. And if we're looking to get past all of the turmoil that we're having, like we have to have something 
to, to, to root us to ourselves so that we can build a beautiful foundation and spread that out to other people. Wow, I'm with you on that and all that. Um, yeah, mental health feels like kind of like the earth to me. Like it's like grounding and therapy is very grounding and it brings you back down to earth, out of your head for a little bit. Or like in your analogy, like above the clouds, like it pulls, pulls you out of your out of your current mindset and you can actually, you're able to see that other things exist and it's, it is temporary. Exactly. Yeah, that's, you had such a, that was beautiful. I really appreciate all mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And it was so, your piece about the school and like implementing those types of cognitive behavioral thought, thought paths, you know, into the daily academic environment, that's so profound. So I just wanted to highlight that too and your, the way that you ask that question, you know, even just hypothetically, imagining asking a child who looks sad, why they feel sad, you know, at the beginning of the day, that's so different than what we have right now in our school, which is you could go through a whole day of school, a year, or like years of school being sad. And exactly. it's not necessary that someone asks you about it when you're there. You can be sad at school. Um, and you might not know that you're sad or why, you know, you, I love what you're saying. You're like to get people thinking this way, to get to invite people to ask the question themselves. And that can, that would really change people's lives. And it starts early too, right? It starts when we're young. Like I think you were saying, John, like, at, like if someone's feeling something, they think about that feeling and it starts early, like kids need to be Introduce, introduce to like their feelings and what's going on within them at an early age and that so that all can become less stigmatized as they grow older within themselves like they choose not to fall prey to the stigma that capitalism shoves on our throats around mental health yeah i feel exactly. like there's a big part of it that has to do with us like you know young people now who have had these experiences and taking responsibility for our own experiences and understanding them you know to the best that we can deep diving like you were saying earlier with our own healing process and then when we come through that deep dive we come through with the it's a real experience that we've lived through that's now in the depth of our life so you can't mm. you don't you don't have to like pretend you know when you're asking even the way that you asked it on this exchange right now when you ask why are you sad you know, when you're asking that as a as a man who's gone through what you've gone through, you're asking it from that place, from that from the depth of that place, which is that you've been there, you understand it, you can see it in another. You're not just asking from this like superficial place. It's it it's mm. it's almost like the energy on your question because of where it's coming from. So mm. that's something that I feel like is directly connected to our own healing because we come through it and that's what we're, that's how we're changing it. Like where we're at in our generationally, where we're at, we're changing, we're changing the future for people to follow, you know, for kids. Exactly. To, we won't, we won't be in a non-acknowledgement state about the mental well-being of young people that we see around us or any age, you know, but like, just to go back to that example in school, it's like, we're heightening our awareness around this because of our own experiences out of necessity. We went through these hells. Now we're like, we have these, we had this awareness because 
by necessity, we went through it. Now we have the awareness. So we're paving the, the path forward, like for the future with this awareness. You can't, we won't forget, we won't, we won't be forgetting this. So therefore we'll be changing mm. the way that young people ahead of us interact with their mental health. Exactly. It's all about planting that seed right now. 100%. So moving forward, just um, in terms of like the flow of this exchange, I'd love to, or we both would love to hear kind of how your branches have reached out into the world, like what you're doing now in the world, having been impacted along your mental health journey. Sure. Um, well, I think right now, it's heavily interwoven with with uh, my music. Um, and a brief background on that. I got into it kind of late. I got into it in high school. I, I found a couple piano pieces and I, I taught myself how to uh, play by ear. And my dad's a guitarist as well. And my mom does handcrafted jewelry. But um, when I initially moved up to LA, um, I, went to, I went there for audio engineering school and to follow my passion for music. And for me, validation from my peers was the utmost important thing. Like, that's what I needed. I, I needed for people who I've loved listening to growing up to say, oh, wow, like, we really like your music. And that kind of started to happen. And it was extremely exciting. And then it was just like nothingness. Like, oh, this happened. Like, this is all I had as a litmus test of that I made it. And it was a validation outside of myself. So it's fleeting. It's, it's just a, a relative experience. It isn't, it, it's not a, a constant. So I had spent the next, I'd say like maybe five years. I, I put a project out in 2015 or 2013 rather. And I'm just now getting into the, the stride of like releasing new material because I've had to completely realign my purpose for music it's no longer for validation from others but my music i want to take my experience of dealing with mental health of knowing what self-love looks like talking about aspects of of love from different angles because as i'm sure you both know like um i have experience in therapy a lot of the love songs that we have they deal with toxic like um compulsive unhealthy obsessive love <laughs> and oftentimes those things are idealized and and when we're doing that you know that gets into everyone's subconscious of thinking oh my goodness i'm experiencing these um drug-like feelings for this person and i've heard this in all these songs and all these movies so i know that this is what it's supposed to look like and it's not and and i want to be able to make music that um just tries to get things from a different angle or or I also feel called to do things like vlogs as well but I just I I, I want to help promote deeper talks that that's where I really feel that um, my branches are leading me right now it's just through a variety of, of, of medium before as well concerning music, I, I always used to say like, I am music, like I'm not music. I chose music as my preferred form of communication because I feel like I'm able to express myself in the best way, um, you know, ways that I couldn't just with written word or not just with drawing or something like that. But that's the tool 
through which I want to help everyone learn how to, to reach our full potential, which is outside of society's conventions right now. Because, you know, I just feel like our, our current civilization is really behind the times of how much that we've all developed from just mathematical and scientific standpoints and understanding life within itself. It's an archaic system. Wow. Yeah. It's such a worthy cause, I feel like, to kind of shift the, the way that the message is perceived for music. That's, that's really fantastic. Because I, I totally agree with you. There, there's so much toxicity in the way that the media portrays love and the way that music portrays love and all these nuanced emotions that come from love. And yeah. So I don't know. We haven't done this before with a musician, I don't think. But if you're willing and would like to share something, maybe you could either. I don't know if you want are open to playing play something now, but if not, you could send something to us and we can include it like with the exchange if you'd like to. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we'd love to have something that you've created on our podcast. Yeah, I would love to um, send you something to include. That'd be amazing. Sweet, sweet. So before we wrap up, I guess we're just, we'd just like to ask if you have any kind of party words or um, Anything you'd like to kind of say to to close this exchange? There is, Alex. I watched I watched um, being interviewed um, by Ariel, and you had mentioned something that I thought was really profound about how, with a lot of indigenous cultures, um, what we considered people to be mentally ill, those people would have roles like healers. They would be having roles like shamans. And I think that it's important for those of us dealing with things like bipolar or, or whatever, schizophrenia, the unipolar depression, you name it, to recognize the inherent strengths that are in there. And just because society is not telling us that we also, you know, perhaps have the sensitivity of, of knowing a wealth of emotional depth that a lot of people don't have therefore like we're able to relate with more people like those are gifts that it's important for us to learn how to cherish and nurture as well like it's not all bad when when we have certain um certain kinks or difficulties with our mental health and i think that helps a lot with with just with with self-love and 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 not having it feel like it's a death sentence when when we're diagnosed with something song that follows, Javon's Try, was inspired initially by a past relationship of his. However, over the years, he came to realize that the song is more about the importance of honoring his truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Before Javon's mental health diagnosis, he says so many of his feelings felt contradictory, overblown, and overpowering. For that reason, he was often fueled by seeking the validation of others as a gauge for his worth and sense of normalcy. Try serves as a reminder to Javon of how far he has grown in listening to the inner core of his voice. He says that a mood shift or powerful wave of emotions may hit him, but his continually evolving sense of self now keeps him from being swept out to sea.
Here is Javon's song, Try. Clouds are settling in Along comes the cold As my finger twitches I soon come to know There's a storm approaching Deep within my soul It's havoc soon unloading On the love I hold Well I, oh I tried to keep my feelings locked up in my mind Well I, oh I tried to keep my anger locked up inside Instead of conversation expressing my disdain I bury all frustrations as my smile remains plastered on my face that's so far removed from my heart's true paces I'm left a jaded fool well I oh I tried to keep my feelings locked down inside And I, oh, I try to keep my feelings deep down in my mind Cause you deserve better than this I don't blame you for your move You deserve better than this How can we feel when I've proven to give a voice to this world that doesn't mimic my own I need to travel with it To work on this Alone 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 Alone, Mental health experiences affect us all. 
If you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts, please call or share the following number. 1-800-273-8255 I am not my thoughts, emotions, sense perceptions, and experiences. I am not the content of my life. I am life. I am the space in which all things happen. I am consciousness. I am the now. I am Eckhart Tolle. Thank you to our listeners, our guests, our family and friends, and all who are with us on this journey. Thank you to Aylan Nario for the use of your beautiful song. We hope you have found a piece of your healing journey with us through this episode and that you continue to carry on with strength and hope. Remember, your life is precious.